Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster, the writer of Kadoja, as well as a dude who writes some freelance articles on iHorror.com. Well, as a dude who writes articles on iHorror.com, what'd you get? What was your first thing? What was the first order of business this week, my friend? Yeah, actually, the, uh, the, the dude who writes articles thing works out pretty well. I just had a review go up today, and, and something I was happy about is I got on their advanced press list, and I was able to knock out the review and get it uh, up there today, which is the first... Oh, how's the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel? It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. I was honestly... When I ever, whenever I hear a bourbon barrel, I feel like it's going to be a lot stronger than it mm-hmm. is. Uh, well, at least in this specific yeah. case, like it wasn't an overwhelming flavor. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when it has that bourbon thing, it's like not really my jam. I'm not huge on hard liquors, but uh, this is quite enjoyable. Actually, yeah. it goes down quite easily. Yeah, it's that is that is the uh, that was the gateway beer to my bourbon barrel love right there having that while i was in hebron kentucky on a business trip they had it on draft it was the only thing they had on draft so i tried it i was like man amazing so and it it's oh wow just as good in a bottle just as good in a bottle but um so yeah the the first thing i did was i had a review go up today as we record this which of course is about 10 days before it's live but i reviewed you promised me darkness issue number one it's on behemoth and um, something I was I was really happy about actually is that I've been able to get on a few press lists, and uh, Behemoth was one of the companies that did it. So I always like you know actually rewarding people who get me on their press list, you know, because I ask, I write for iHorror.com. It's it's a pretty big name, and um, so yeah, I read it. It was, I, I mean, I encourage people to check out the review, but but to give some high points, it's an interesting book. Um, it it has it has a couple things, you know, not. Not many books are perfect. Um, I, I would, you know, we we could actually talk about this. This this would be a fun sidetrack. Maybe we'll do this at the end. How many comic books you consider actually perfect? Um, and I think what we'd have to do is we'd have to limit ourselves to maybe like graphic novels or five issue runs of something because no series is ever going to be perfect. Or or at least you can talk about some things that are iconic. But um, it it has a few things that it, it has a character thing. Which and and this is probably helpful from a writing perspective. Without giving much of the of the comic or plot away, um, it, it's reminiscent actually of the old television show Heroes, as well as being but but being quite horrific and darker. So it's like a horrific dark take, akin to the television show Heroes from the previous decade. Um, what what bothered me the most is that there's a narrator who's who's quite powerful who appears to be kind of like some sort of leader of this team or whatever and the writer gave that character um a, a couple vocal quirks where they say a bunch of interest like a bunch of really deep kind of serious things but then interrupts himself by saying yikes a lot like yikes as a as a one word sentence shows up three or four times and I I wasn't sure about that you know like it didn't sort of work for me and then the other thing is this character is is quite old like 100 years old but talks at times like a 14 year old and and I understand that that's writer intent there but but it didn't quite wash with me um and it was it was a interesting you know it was it was a different kind of quirk I wasn't a big fan of it 
only because when I say things like I'm not a big fan of it, I always ask what would happen if you removed it? Or, or when I talk about something, it's, it's, I start trying to play around with its absence and how much I care about that. And so for me, again, maybe it's personal preference, maybe it's not, but I personally thought you didn't need any of the quirks. I think it it could have been the same exact story, if not better, without those vocal, without those things trying to separate this narrator character. So that was thing number one. Um, and then there's something that I like a lot about the book, but that I expect people will be turned off to, which is, it is very much, I don't think you read, Scott, I don't think you read, to bring up Bendis again. He uh, wrote a book called, he wrote and illustrated a book called AKA Goldfish back in the day. No, I never, never did. So it, it's very um, Kinko's, for lack of a better way to put it. Very pop copy. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's all black and white. It's just akin to like Sin City by Frank Miller. There are no gray tones. It's just black and white everywhere. And at, at its best, the art is, you know, the art serves the story, which is great. It's atmospheric and it's moody. And I think, you know, there's an alternate version of this book where it's just kind of illustrated in the normal four color style. And I don't even think it's a horror book. You know, it could it could actually, with a different artistic style, play a bit differently and play a bit more superhero and less horror. But that black and white stark book just makes the idea starker and it really works to the advantage of tipping the scales in favor of it being horror. There are also a few elements that if people who want to read it should check out, which I encourage them to do. Um, though those elements do tip it uh, in the in the favor of horror as well, so it's almost kind of like a horror superhero book. But um, but I I actually think that the art will be off putting to some because as someone who has you know self published and and published through a, a publisher a black and white comic book with gray tones. I've had, you know, it, it feels like at least uh, not as much anymore, but there were conventions where a person would just say, you know, well, I'd buy this if it was in color or you know, have you ever considered to do it in color and that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, we've considered it, but we just felt like black and white was the best way to go here. It makes Kadoja look different. And I think it works very well for the story here. That said, there are pages that kind of look like someone is on a fourth generation of a Kinko's copy where it just gets a bit too kind of whited out in certain spots. And it also can be confusing to follow on certain pages. But that said, if people want an interesting new read from a publisher that's, you know, making some noise and doing something that's a little bit different, then I do encourage You Promise Me Darkness. You know, I'm going to back up my review and buy a physical copy with it, and I'm also going to stick with it. So, you know, it, it's good enough to to hang around with. Um, it's got some interesting shit, but also I think hopefully in talking about it, I was able to talk about some things that, you know, kind of I look for when it term, when, when it's my turn to kind of look at comics and try to view them with a critical eye. Um, how about you, man? What was your first thing? Just going off of uh, stuff that we've read, I'll, I'll do that for my first one. Today, I actually read a Image Comics. I think it's Gillian March. I was trying to look look for it while I was t- while you were talking, um, but it's under these this giant stack of comics. But that was quite good. It was uh, it, it's called uh, Carmen with a with a K K A R M E N, I believe. And it's it has a really striking cover. Okay, I've I've been looking for it, uh, not like casually. I would I didn't ask anyone about it at SoCal. I just been kind of checking the shelves here and there. And apparently, I had missed it like two or three weeks ago. And I checked on the last week of March because it it was advertised as being out in March. Um, I don't know if that's the gimmick with the the creator's last name and everything. So. Uh, I didn't see it. So on the last week, I had asked someone at SoCal, Matt, I asked him if uh, they had it. 
and he gave me the variant. They actually had, I think it was like a one in 10 variant or something like that. And uh, mm. so I just read it today and man, it is fantastic. Uh, talking about things that you might not like in comics, like stuff that you look out for, quirks and whatnot. One of my issues is walls of text. Like I, I'll just as as a visual visual person, I, I don't know if it's just me personally, but when I flip a page and I see nothing but tons of word balloons, I, I get a little put off, and I'm like, oh man, this is yeah. going to be a slog. So the first three pages, there's tons of text, and honestly, it looks like the lettering's a little small for my taste. I think they did that just so you can kind of get a better view of the art because the art is very beautiful. But after getting through those first three pages, and it wasn't a chore when I was reading it, like I found once I got into the dialogue, like reading the dialogue, it moved pretty quickly. And the rest of the book moved very quickly. And uh, it was a lot of interesting visual storytelling, and they relied less on on dialogue. It's like those first three pages were kind of set up to the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it just moved so fast, and it was just... The artist was trying different things that I really hadn't seen before. I really like the composition of it. So if you guys can get your hands on it, look for uh, uh, Carmen, uh, Image Comics. I think it's Gillian March. Uh, March is definitely the last name, but okay. I think I think the first name is uh, Gillian. But yeah, give that give that a look okay. if you can. I would honestly, cool, cool. I, I would yeah, be I... shocked if it does not get option for something, a TV show or okay. a movie. That's that's how like kind of catchy the story is. I'm like, oh okay, yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually want to hold a couple things that you've just said. I want to make a point about walls of text first, but I also want to come back to two things that you've just mentioned, which I'd actually wanted to mention on the podcast, which is the optioned idea and the one in 10 cover idea. But before I say that, I do want to mention that there are two books that I very much like that have text pages. Um, and it's something that I've experimented with a little, like Three Protectors is probably going to have a text page or two. I do have some found document kind of pages in Kadoja. They're in the back of the trade. We, we've had them in the issues and use them in the back of the trade for like the extra section and things like that. But that said, you know, it's something that I struggle with all the time. You know, the, the concept of putting text only pages or something very close to it in a comic book. I'm sort of against it, but... I understand its role and I do like putting it in there every now and then, especially when I feel like there might be some clarity that you can deliver in an interesting way. But Black Monday Murders by Image and AD After Death, which I think is also an image book, two books I like, but two books that have chunks of text pages where like, again, to your point, I turn the page and I'm like, oh shit, you know what I mean? Like, look, I read books all the time. But that doesn't mean that I'm prepared intellectually to read a book when I'm reading a comic. I'm all for people playing with format and things like that. And it turns out that it's pretty rewarding when you go through it. But it also does feel a bit strange when you're just confronted with a lot of text on a page. So I'm going to move on to the to something you said before. And I can't remember. This harkens back to last week's uh, episode. And I can't remember how much I answered this question. I get the feeling that you brought it up. And then um, we moved on to something else. And it was the idea of you considering doing a 1 in 10 variant for the second shift. Um, and so I have a couple thoughts on 1 in 10 variants and on the option concept. Um, when when Kadoja first got signed with 215, 215 had a book called Enormous. And Enormous actually got optioned. Um, it never got made, but it did get optioned. 
And uh, so that would have been 2015 or so. So, I mean, it seems like yesterday, and yet it was six years ago. And that's the last time I remember the option craze being at this kind of pitch. And something that's a bit of my concern right now, you know, I was I was going to ask you this in a different context, but then you, you know, you mentioned the one in 10 thing and I've, I've danced that dance myself, you know, should I consider a one in 10 variant or anything like that? But I feel, I feel like it's just out of control right now. I feel like boom is kind of making it great for everybody and ruining it for everybody at the same time. You know, there, there are some books out there. I mean, something is killing the children is a gross offender of this, where there are these goddamn 1 in 25, 1 in 50 kind of variants that are just blowing up. And and so I remember somebody posted something on Instagram and, and had some variant, and there was a comment, and the person said, um, I feel like these variants are becoming the new best investment in comics. So they sort of are and they sort of aren't. You know what I mean? Like the best investment in comics to me, if you really want to play that game, is find a book, an entire book, that no one actually cares about and that they're overlooking right now, buy a bunch of those and then hang on to them because you know they're going to be something. So maybe this Carmen book is something like that, right? Nobody's paying attention to it because everybody wants the one in 25 variant of something that, you know, Boom or somebody else put out. Absolutely. And I think a perfect example of that is uh, Ice Cream Man. Ice Cream Man was a book that nobody seemed to be paying attention uh, to and it had very low print runs. Invincible as well. Invincible is a freaking cartoon right now. And uh, honestly, instead of playing the speculation market, just like everyone else, I'm tr- I'm really trying not to do that. But as a collector, sometimes I do get pulled into the hype. Um, and I am guilty of picking up so many. We only find them when they're dead variants. But that's more so because I love that book. And I was like, oh shit, they got different covers. And, and so I wanted all of the covers. And um, so it's it's really, as a comic collector, I would say your best bet is to just check out new shit. And you think, if you think the story's good, then just continue with it. Um, I don't know, for whatever reason, a few years back, I was reading uh, Something is Killing the Children. I read the first issue. I, we might have talked about this on the air. And I really enjoyed the first issue a lot. It had a Jay Lee cover, and I was like, oh, I love Jay Lee. That's a pretty striking cover. And number one, why not? Gave it a read. I enjoyed it. But for whatever reason, since I had really heard nothing of it, I stopped reading it. I didn't, and and honestly, I wasn't Mm -hmm. making it to the comic shop every week anyway, so that's kind of part part of the problem. But I do, uh, I I am guilty of having that mentality. Like, I've not really heard anything of this book, and I I stopped reading it now. Oh, man, my mindset's completely different. I try so many number ones, and if I do enjoy it, I stick with it. And, you know, there's been a couple of stinkers. One, you had borrowed, and uh, uh, we both agreed it was no good, (laughs) and so I won't be continuing with that. So, But that's the risk you... You, you know, you play when you're just picking up a tons of, of new stuff. Like some stuff's not going to be very sure. good and then it's okay. You just, you know, don't give them your $4 the next issue and you move on from it. Yeah. Sometimes there are cases uh, where there's been books where I heard that, hey, that book picked up and it got pretty good. And then you, you go back and you try to find the issues you, you missed and, you know, start collecting again. But as a comic collector, just read what you think is good and uh, uh, try new shit. And if it's no good, move move on from it. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. And I was going to differentiate for you if you didn't differentiate for yourself. What we are doing is being comic fans and trying shit. 
that's no different than what we what I did when I was 14. You know, whether it was Secret Wars or Amazing Spider-Man or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Cerebus, we were trying stuff just like we're trying stuff now because we're big comic fans. Where I'm delineating there is people that are like, they get Proctor Valley Road and like Proctor, you know, I was pissed. So for me, Scott, it's about if I see a cover I like, I'm always like, ooh, that's a cool cover. And like you know from me texting you, I have dropped a decent amount, not a great amount, but a decent amount on a few 1 in 25 covers. But not because they were 1 in 25 covers, but mainly because they were fucking cool. And I was like, that's a cool cover and I don't have that issue, so I might as well just grab it. It's not going to lose its value. I don't expect it to lose its value, but... um, But I also, you know, at the same time, I am wondering a little bit where this is all going. You know, if if you look at there's a book out right now that I think is the absolute culmination of all this. And I feel like in five years we are going to look at this book and say, guys, everybody, ladies, this is the fucking book that killed the one in 25, one in 50, one in 100 thing. It's Berserker. It's a book that I've mentioned before. Have you seen how many fucking variants they do? Oh, dude, have you seen how many variants are for the last Ronin number one? Dude, there is an insane amount. Like, it's nuts. Like, every, it seems like every store had their own exclusive cover. And I think you have to hit a certain, you have to hit a certain threshold. Not that I think you do. You have to hit a certain number before you get your own cover. And um, there's yeah. tons of stores that had their own. And it's it's nuts. Yeah. So. That and Berserker, they won't be worth, worth shit. <laughs> fun fun fact, there are actually, and that's not new, there are at least, I think there's three issues of Kadoja out there that have their own store exclusive covers from back in the day. Because I remember, you know, back when I was just part of a creative team that was through 215, um, Mike hit me up. He's like, hey, you got any extra artwork that we can use for like store exclusive covers? I was like, that's such a thing. And he was like, yeah. So I gave him one. He was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you got another? We got another store that's in line. Same thing. So I ended up like pulling three bits of art out there that are for store exclusive covers only. I have no idea where those damn things are right now. I know they never turn up on eBay, which is pretty interesting. So maybe people are holding it or something like that. But dude, I didn't know that Last Ronin was doing it too. But it's crazy. There's one in there's one in 200, there's one in 300, there's one in 500, there's one in 1000. Uh there's a one in 1000 variant for Berserker. And and to wow. your point, Scott, what they do in a lot of these cases is they use it as an incentive for you to buy them. You know, so like if you're a store and and I'm I'm really giving Glennis um, from Comic Book Hideout, a lot of credit here because she was the one who dropped some of the science on me when I went to get my comics a week or two ago. She was just saying, she's like, look over there at these Something Killing the Children number 13s I have. And she's like, I got so many of these damn things because I wanted to get the retailer incentive cover at a one out of 50. You got to buy 50 to get a one out of 50, you know? So the problem is now you've got, you know, you sell your usual, let's say 2025. And as a retailer, you're sitting on way more. So like, yay, you got your, you got your one in 50 variant, but what price did you pay? You know? So, um, I mean, I, I get, I get the, I get the incentive from a retailer perspective. I get the interest from a fan perspective, and I get why a publisher wants to do it too. But 
it just feels like it's going to burst. It feels like we are headed, we are cruising for a goddamn bruising right now because we're doing what we did in the 90s all over again. And we're putting a lot of copies of shit into circulation so that we can have a few high-priced things that everybody can feel good about. I wonder if, I mean, and she would know, if what she sells that 1 in 50 variant for, basically, she makes her she makes her money back when she sells that one issue, like what she pays for each of those other issues, does it make up for those 50 that she had to buy? And then, so she gets the one in 25, the one in 10 or whatever. So maybe for her, it is worth it. But, you know, like she points out, you're stuck with a bunch of issue number 13s. Unless some, unless that somebody's first appearance or a major event happens in that issue, then those issues are useless. Um, I will say yeah. for your... For your numbers, for our numbers, when we do these variants, it's not going to be one of those things where it's like, hey, we're flooding the market with all this. We're small time guys. We're indie guys. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. If either one of our books blows up, those variants are going to be worth something. It's like, hey, did did you know that these books had they had like a variance on it and they didn't print very many of them. Like for my Kickstarters, a lot yeah. of my alternate covers, like my one in 25s or whatever, I print 15 of them. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I print, uh, you know, I'll print up to, to 25, 25, 15, sometimes 10. Um, I had a Bernie Sanders uh, mittens cover just because it mm -hmm. was that time, you know? Um, and I think I'm going to yeah. print five of yep. them. So if the book ever blows up, that yep. Bernie Sanders mittens cover is going gonna, is gonna to be something. So, you know, it, it's... Yeah. And, and for me as an indie creator and someone who... It's like I'm putting two to three books out per year, and man, do I love getting alternate covers. And and, and uh, so to have other artists do their versions of my characters, to see their pieces on my cover, it's like, it, it's very rewarding. So it's kind of part of the fun for me to go, hey, look, check these alternate covers out. It's like, I'm a small time guy, but I can do this shit too. Oh, totally. And, uh, you know, I like to, yeah. I like to get the guys that don't draw anything like I do. It's like, look, the, the, the standard cover is going to be my cover because I deserve this. I worked hard on the yeah. interiors, so I'm going to get my cover on the front. That's my reward. My other reward. Okay. I'm going to see a couple yeah. of other guys, uh, see their versions of, of, of my characters. So, um, you know, I'm cool with doing it. And, you know, even if it is on a random, random number, you know, uh, I think nine, Nine and eleven of second shift are having have alternate covers, and then ten's going to have alternate covers. And I might have alternate covers uh, from here on out, just because I love them. So you know, yeah. it's just not going to be a large number, but it, if you want the alternate yeah. cover, it'll be there for you. But again, that and and yes, I totally see where you're going, where you're coming from. I do the exact same thing. But again, what we are doing is we are just doing cool shit for our book. Because we know we can we can get a variant cover out there. We're going to have some people that are interested in it. We get to like support an artist, build a relationship, get some kick-ass art of our property. Which, you know, we were talking about um, offline, I think, last week. And you can even see it behind me. You know, I've got Lance's art hanging on my wall here of Kadoja Volume 2. What's that? 2, 3, and 4. Just because I love the covers. You know, and when um, and when volume three, when I print up those comics, I might just swap them out because I love I love the art. I love that somebody did art of, of like characters that I created. You know, it's it's great. That is very different in, in in many ways from doing it for an incentive. And and I'll 
I'll, we'll move on. And then I can go to my second thing, I guess, if you want, um, which is, but I, but I will say this. I'm not going to tell people what the print run. Speaking of You Promised Me Darkness by Behemoth, the book I was talking about at the outset. It has five covers, okay? When I was looking up some information on You Promised Me Darkness, I was actually looking up the, I did a Google search when I was writing my review for the goddamn cover price. Because the interesting thing about the book is, it's like 38 pages. So I was like, wow, that's a lot of damn pages. I wonder how much the book is. Is it going to be extra priced? And it's like, it's not. It, it's $3.99. It lists for $3.99, which I think is wonderful. I think that's a really cool thing to have all these pages that are basically, you know, in your in your pocket for $3.99. The first article that comes up on Google is an article about what the print run for that thing is. Scott, it blew my fucking mind. I, I will see, when I order my comics through Comic Book Hideout... I use um, the diamond, um, whatever it's called, the preview system, which is amazing, by the way. You know, like I, I know there's a lot of bad stuff floating in the air um, about diamond and, and diamond has deserved some of it. But something else they've done is they've created the pull box online thing where fans just get to go and do shit directly. And for like diehard fans, it's amazing. You look up the comic, you enter what cover you want, you hit submit, and then you wait for the retailer to confirm. Sometimes I get my request rejected. And the second I see my request rejected for like a cover B or a cover C, I'm like, oh shit, that's a one in 10. That's why she's rejecting that because it's listed at cover price and it's a bit insidious the way they do it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, which variant do you want? Oh, you know, I'll, I'll take number five. Okay, well, no, you know, number five is one in a hundred. So we'll get your retailer to order a hundred copies and then you can get your number five. And I'm sure the retailer's like, thanks, asshole. You know, like, I really appreciate you not even telling people which one was the limited one. So anyway, I, I think that's enough on that topic. But it is it is something that's interesting for me and I think for you to think about as indie publishers that like, I'm sure we could do it to, to boost a print run a little bit, but who does it really help? You know what I mean? Like it gets you a short term thing and then it probably makes people mad, you know, because it makes me mad because now I've got a whole lot of unsold copies of a book, most likely, um, especially if it's like a number three, a number four, a number seven, a number 12, you know, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that's where I tried to pull back on those variants. And, and I'm such a sucker for variants. I'll go into the store and I'm like, man, I really like that cover and I like that cover. You know, that, that cover's okay, so I guess I'll just get these two covers. And, you know, comics aren't cheap these days. They're four bucks each, so it's like sometimes I'll walk out of the sp store spending 12 bucks on a single issue just because it had three cool covers. And uh, yeah. I definitely pulled back on that, you know, especially if it's a 50-50 split. If for sure, I'm just getting one of them. I'm just going to pick the one that I like the most. And, um, you know, thankfully my shop, they have... A, uh, a section where they put the one in tens, the one in 25s or whatever, and they're priced accordingly. Mm -hmm. And if I'm comfortable yeah. paying that, then I'll pay it. Um, if not, then, yeah, then exactly. I keep it moving. No big deal. Yep. Same thing here. Same thing here. So the, the second thing I did this week is a creative thing. It's basically the big creative thing I did. It is that I am starting to sit down and, and I'm going to try my best to really work through this. It It's come off clumsy when I've thought about it the last day or two. Kadoja number four is on the, Kadoja volume four is on the horizon. And I am starting to think about Kadoja volume four. In fact, um, earlier in the week, I went ahead and reread Kadoja volumes one and two. Three is pretty fresh in my head, but I reread one and two. And I, I understand three because I want to make myself nice and positioned for Kadoja four. And I think, um, 
Well, let's do a quick detour, actually. You know, I don't think I've mentioned this before. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't on on air, so so to speak. Um, but I did get my writer's certificate from UCLA. Oh, right on. No, you. I don't believe you've mentioned that at all. Yeah, yeah. It showed up in the mail and everything. It's a fiction writer's certificate. I'm happy about it. And and what's interesting about it is I, I do have a few degrees. But all the degrees I have up until this one, when I look at them, I think like, yeah, that's me jumping through society's hoops to show that I can get a degree. I'm not sure I remember 2% of the fucking stuff that I've learned. You know what I mean? And so what's interesting about this writer uh, writer program de- degree I got is that I actually kind of don't care about the degree. Like degree, degree is a fun thing to look at, but I'm not interested in getting that piece of paper and showing it to society and letting them know, hey, look, I can complete a task which is that's how I view a college degree, a master's degree, whatever degree people are out there to get. Licenses, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? When I look at this certificate, I'm going to think like, wow, this is when I learned how to write better. You know, so and and unlike the previous degrees, I'm retaining 100% of it and 30 to 40% of it is like absolute gold. You know, just just like really set me on what I think is a much better trajectory. So I bring that up because this arc of Kadoja is go, you know, Kadoja Volume Three was a, a volume that I started writing. We had a lot of stop starts. I had uh, I went two issues in with an artist that I ended up cutting. We started all over. So Volume Three has taken a while. Um, I had another artist kind of bow out. It's been a bit of a, a, a crazy, crazy time. So because of that, Volume Three was really written. It may have been even written before I took a single class in novel writing. Um, but now here I am with a you know certificate, way more knowledge, and I'm thinking about volume four. And it's a fun thing to think about because I armed myself with the previous things because as we've talked about before, sometimes you put so many cool little nuggets in that you, at the time, you're like, I'll keep that around for later in case I want to use it. I'm just going to put this out in the world. You got to remember to use it later too. I think X-Men was the first people who did it where they just kept like, it seemed like 85 goddamn plot lines going. All these dangling threads just hanging above your head. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely give shouts to the X-Men for kind of being the masters of that. Whether or not they invented it, I don't know. But the X-Men, you know, basically issues 100 through like 350 were just the pro shit for doing that, you know. What I find now is here I am at the precipice of Kadoja Volume 4. And I have an idea, a very loose idea of some things I'm going to have happen. Unlike the previous volumes, you know, the previous volumes have always been, I want this to happen and I want that to happen and I want that to happen. And this is roughly where the pacing is going to be. And that's kind of where I'm going to be. And then what it becomes is you kind of write backward from your high points of plot. You want this plot thing to happen, this plot thing to happen, and that plot thing to happen. And then what you have to do is you have to kind of walk that backward and make it feel like the characters are organically arriving there instead of the author putting their kind of big thumb on the scale and tipping everything toward this plot thing happening. I'm going to give an example for people just to make sure it's like super clear. So in the first movie, Pacific Rim, which we did not really talk about much on the podcast with Gary, but we really should have because I love it. That said, there is a part where it just feels like, oh boy, that was totally like the director going like, come on guys, we got a plot to attend to here, right? And it's the part where Riley is sitting there in like the abandoned factory and Stacker Pentecost comes to him 
And he's like, you know, I want you to pilot this Jaeger. Like the guys, the, the baddies are coming back. Like shit's getting real. I don't know, man. I mean, my brother died at the hands of a kaiju, you know, like I'm not sure what I should do. And then you kind of hear like the Oscar music, like, oh, we got to wrap up this scene. Right. And then Pentecost goes like, how do you wish to die here or in a Jaeger? <laughs> right. So that that became like a joke in my family for three years. Whenever it was kind of like, hey, let's get it running here. Hey, how do you wish to die here in a Jaeger? Let's get going. <laughs> right. And then and then it immediately moves to the next scene. So that is like not organic at all. It feels like we just got to move to the next scene here. You know, there could have been a more interesting back and forth where like, you know, something else happens where it feels a bit more character driven instead of like plot driven, which is what it felt there. And if you disagree with me, then, you know, I'd love to hear your opinion on it as well. That's that's mine. That said, getting to Kadoja volume four here. I know the couple things that I that are going to have happen because there are things I, I kind of view it as a video game environment, you know, like I don't play video games anymore, but there's these open world video games. I don't think I've given this analogy before on the podcast, right? But when I see kind of like how the world works and what I want to have happen, I feel like there are these things out there in the world, just like there are things out there in a video game world, like in, in open world games, you can do nothing like, you know. You could go buy Diet Cokes all day if that's really what you want and never actually get to the, quote, plot of a video game. But at some point, you're probably going to get to the plot. And there are things out there waiting for you, you know, like in to use the last game I played, which was like this Grand Theft Auto. You have to go to this person's house to get your first mission, which is going to set you up, do it and then go on your second mission. You can avoid that first house altogether, but at some point you probably want to go to that first house because it beats walking around and punching prostitutes all day long, which is a real thing you can do in Grand Theft Auto. I'm sure everybody knows or that. Or in real right? life, whatever you're into. Or, <laughs> or in real life. Exactly, exactly. So that's the way I'm looking at this. I have these couple things I know that are going to happen, and they're plot points out there waiting for characters to find them. But what makes this arc different is that I'm actually going to do this probably tomorrow or the next day. I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to write, what does, I'm going to take every single character I have. What does this character want? And how do they plan to go about getting it? And that's what it's going to be. General Cruz, what does she want? How does she go about getting it? Williams, what does he want? How does he go about getting it? Yancey, what does she want? What does she go, you know, how does she go about getting it? I'm going to do that for every single person. And then what I'm going to do is then I get to bring the author hand in and go like, okay, well, what don't they know? You know, what what things that are kind of like God powers, a.k.a. the author, do I get to introduce that are going to, you know, uh, help or hinder kind of where they're going with that or accelerate, decelerate, you know, change their ideas, that kind of thing. I am a couple days away from doing that, but I think that the interesting thing about this arc as opposed to the previous arcs is before it was like, this is happening, that's happening, and that's happening, where in this case, it's more, it's it's the same but different. This thing is waiting and that thing is waiting and that thing is waiting, but I have to have it be like, okay, well, what do the characters want? Because the characters are absolutely going to drive this story. Theoretically, I could write this story five times and have it be five different stories because it's kind of like simulations. You know what I mean? And, and so it's about how do these things happen and how the people react? How well do I understand my characters so the characters can react accordingly? And then that's going to drive the story. And then that's going to form the loose basis for the story. So that was really the thing that I spent a lot of time setting up this week. There's going to be a lot more execution of that in coming weeks. But uh, how about you, man? What was your uh, what was your second thing? 
Uh, before we move on to mine, I, I really should have jumped on earlier, but going back to, you know, getting degrees and such, and like that piece of paper shows everyone, hey, look, I can complete a task. Like, that's how I feel about comic books. When I was in school, I would, I'm terrible at math. Like, I'm no good. And so I would struggle to pay attention because they might as well have been speaking a foreign language. And uh, I remember talking to my teacher and she's just like, you know, you're going to need this someday. I'm like, when? When will I ever need this? <laughs> and uh, she tried to make up some bullshit, but it was like, it was high school. It was like, look, I'm never going to use trigonometry. Like, I'm not becoming a teacher. Yeah. I'm not a scientist. You know, it, it, it's I'm not working yes. for NASA. So, like, this shit ain't going to come up. And it yeah. hasn't to this day. Yep. Along with pointing out yep. states, states on the map. Never, it's never come up. I didn't even know that going to school for math, or not math, <laughs> got math on the brain now, uh, going to school for comics was a thing. Like, I did not know that was even a thing. So I'm just like, well, yeah, I'm just going to high school. I don't need to go to college. I'll take some college classes on art. I took some life drawing, as, as we've talked about in the last episode. But it uh, it's interesting because I, I know people that have degrees from, you know, art schools and I have so many more books under my belt than they do. And, and, and I'm not shitting on art schools. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm saying is sure. if you're fully focused and you think you can move forward into creating comics, it's not something you need to do. You don't have to go get a degree. You know, obviously, if you're going to be a nurse or a doctor or, a, you know, so, something along those lines, obviously go to school. But, um, yeah. you know, for me, it just wasn't a path that I needed to go. The paper, the the piece of paper I needed to hold at the end to say, hey, this is this was worth my time uh, it, is yeah. a comic book. You know, when I go on to YouTube and I'm just researching shit or I'm, I'm just like studying art, that's worth a shit because it applies to what we're doing now. You know, you took that class because yeah. it applies to what you're doing now as opposed to being yes. in, uh, you know, trigonometry or something. It's like. This will do nothing yes. for me. Like this is use. This is, yeah. these are empty calories on my brain. Like why are we even yeah. here? You know, you're racking up some points yep. and it doesn't mean shit. You know, sorry, just yeah, the, yeah, moving over to basketball in my brain. No, I I get it. I get it too. And and again, I I think I, I think perhaps to bring it full circle on my point, what makes this particular uh, thing about Kadoja interesting is, and maybe this is why it's it's kind of clicking in my brain. This is the first time that the stuff I've learned really in writer class I've been able to apply to Kadoja, because again, there's been this long layoff and gap between getting three volume three written and getting volume four written. Um, maybe I was early, early on in my novel writing or, or in my you know path that I didn't even know was necessarily novel writing at the time. But uh, now I can see all those things pay off because you don't learn novels. You learn stories. You learn storytelling. You learn three-act structure. You learn all those things. You learn character. You learn plot. You learn subtext. You know, you learn you learn a million things. And they pay off everywhere, not just in the novel you're writing. Yeah, absolutely. And just, yeah putting your brain through the ringer again over and over with stuff like, you know, if your teacher is saying stuff, you're like, yeah, I already knew that. But the more you hear it, the the more it's going to become like a muscle memory, you know, uh, just yeah. a reflex in your brain when you see it. So exactly. Um, so the second thing, and, and I talked about this, so I guess this isn't the second thing I'll, I'll use this as a, a, a partial, I guess. Um, I talked about this on the last episode. I had finished that mermaid commission that I was working on. And I did the flats on it and I passed it along to my colorist. 
I got that shit back today, and goddammit if that ain't one of the most beautiful pieces that we've ever collabed on. Like, he... Oh, nice. Yeah, he completely crushed it. Um, and honestly, I undercharged uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon. I undercharged him because mm. it's way too nice. I was just like, fuck, I was kicking myself in the ass. But, uh, you know, lesson learned for next time. And, and you know what? He's such a great client that, uh, you know, he got hooked up this time. So so no biggie. But, yeah, I got it back today. Fantastic chef's kiss. And I'll, I'll send it your way after this. And then um, sure. uh, I finished a page. I finished another page. So I'm down to six uh, on my tally here. So out of 20, I got 14 done. And it was one of those mm. things where... I was like, I need to get on these uh, this uh, freelance work. I had some freelance work pending. And um, I was like, you know what? I really got to do that. But let me bang out this panel. Let me try to get back on my schedule from last year, which was a panel a day. And when you do that, you're going to end up with like 68 pages a year. So if you're a relatively slow artist, mm -hmm. you know, keep that in your mind. Say, let me knock out one panel a day and if you do that you'll end up with a nice little total at the end of the year so i'm like okay get back there that's what you need to do finish this yeah. panel before you go back to those that freelance work and god damn it yeah. once i finished that panel i said this next panel looks super easy maybe i'll let me maybe maybe i'll try to finish this panel before i get onto the freelance work and before i knew it i drew yeah. the entire page and i had told myself halfway through fuck it do the freelance work tomorrow. You're you're on a roll. Get through yeah. this thing, and uh, uh, yeah, I knocked out the page. I was so happy. I didn't even I didn't even tell Death I finished another page because I'm I'm trying to encourage him. Uh, I'm I'm probably like three or four pages ahead of him, and I don't want to discourage yeah. him. So he's hearing for the first time when he's listening to this podcast that I finished another page. I just didn't tell him, and uh, yeah, I was really happy with it. One of the things that I've been doing a lot more, and it's, I heard it a couple years back, and I didn't implement it really, is uh, Joe Matarera, he loves the silhouette. The silhouette is something he uses frequently, um, to the point where he uses a silhouette, silhouette per page. Like, he, he always seems to put one in there, mm -hmm. and, if it, and if not, it's definitely on the next page. So... I was like, you know what? I should really try implementing that. And and the silhouettes I've came up with, really pretty. I was like, man, these these are pretty nice. Yeah. And so what happens yeah. there? It, it speeds speeds you up because you're not putting all that little detail uh, that you normally do when you're, you know, you're drawing a panel. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm doing all the structure. I'm I'm making sure the character is correct and what they're wearing and this and that. But once I rough all that shit in there, which doesn't take very, very long, you're just doing an outline, essentially, and then you're filling it in. Mm -hmm. So so you're, you're, yeah. you're still doing, you know, the basic work. You're getting that form in there. But once that outline is done, you just drop in that black and boom, that panel's done. And uh, so I'm really yeah. happy with the results of that page. So it moved pretty quickly. I think I got that page done in under nine hours. And... Um, yeah, man, just that that page kicked ass. I kicked ass that day, and uh, I, I was happy nice. to finish it. Nice, nice. So I had a few, the, the few little things I had happen were, number one, I did get um, something that you had kind of hooked Gary and I up with was this uh, sticker mule. And I encourage people to check out Sticker Mule. They make great stickers. 
They do it at good rates. And if you hang around long enough, then you can get a pretty sweet rate. So I actually got some cool stuff that probably by the time people see it here, well, depends on if you follow me on social media, because I'm going to put it on the stories. I don't know if it's going to be posts, but uh, I got some really cool stickers done. And maybe while you're talking, I'll show you the stickers that I got done. Um, and then they'll be on social media. But yeah, man, I got some cool stickers done through Sticker Mule. They just showed up today. Really like their work. I encourage people out there. If you have a few bucks extra that you've you know earned from sales or something like that, great way to have some kick-ass things to either sell for a bucket of show or hook up Kickstarter backers, which is what I'm going to do. I'm definitely going to hook up some Kickstarter backers there with that. Yeah, and once you start ordering from them, they'll start sending you deals pretty much monthly like you'll and sometimes yeah. weekly sometimes they'll have a certain month where they're just like you know what this month every week it's a different sale and then so you yes. so so that's a super rad thing like the most recent thing was coasters it was like 50 coasters for 19 bucks and that's normally yeah. if you do it through them straight up it's 65 dollars but uh, they yeah. liked, uh, I mean, they're such a good company because once you start ordering from them, they like to reward th- their customers. And so they hook it up yeah. all the time. Yep, yep. In fact, I, I actually just told my wife a couple hours ago about like, what do you think about the coasters? And she's like, nah, nah. You know, I, I think I was I was close myself. But again, I got some stickers already. So that's good for now. And something else will come down the down the pike. Um, and then the second thing is that I made a little bit of a shift. Scott knows this, a, a much more detailed version, but there was an artist where I had approached him for some work. And then he came back with some questions that made me sort of question, just question him in a way. <laughs> you know, it was, it was because, and in fairness, it, so the questions had to do with pricing, for lack of a better way to put it. And so what I asked Scott is, what is your opinion on these things? Like, should, should, is this artist within their right mind to charge extra for this? And in general, you were like, no, they're not, you know? So, and this is, this is like, we haven't even agreed to do anything, but I'm already getting this. So the, the bad news is I, I, I decided he doesn't know this yet, but I've decided to kind of move on. Um, and the good news is that I had, I had this list of, of cover artists that Lance had actually given me a long time ago that I keep uh, uh, hidden, saved in my email. And one of the cover artists he had had on that was Danny Schlitz, who has done the Kadoja Volume 3 covers. So if you got a trade on the Kickstarter, actually, if you're getting a trade of any sort, except for the Lance Pilgrim edition, that is a Danny Schlitz cover. And uh, But Danny had some stuff to do. I think he got contracted for some Marvel slash Disney work. I'm not going to keep you from that, man. So uh, so he had to bow out for issue four. But I found a person that another person through Lance's email and I just uh, arranged a price today, actually. And so he's going to work on it. I'm really excited for it. He has a great sense for color, a great sense for design. And I'm really excited about it. And it's probably going to be more than a cover because to be on volume three, number four cover, it's going to be a small print run. So I'll probably end up getting a poster or something made of it, too. Right on. That's awesome. And I'm man. really optimistic. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of like business side stuff. But um, but that's that's me and my week. What else did you have? Yeah. So and and, and you know a, a little bit behind the curtain there, but it's it's definitely pertaining to this podcast because this is making comics podcast. Uh, it it was in regards to canvas size. You know, it was the difference. Like the artist knew that it was cover work, but he was like it was for a singular image essentially that was instead of just being on the front it was going to be a wraparound 
but the art wasn't going yeah. to be any more extravagant. There wasn't going to be yeah. extra artwork on the back. It was it was one design. It was just the canvas size, and and you know he was wanting to charge more for something like that. And and hey, you artists out yeah. there, if you you think that guy did deserve more money because it was just wrapped around, you let us know. Email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail. But me, yeah. I would I wouldn't even bat an eye. It's like, hey, look, can you draw me this singular image? I'm going to use it for a cover. Yeah. It's going to be a wraparound. It needs to be this dimension. M- my, exactly. my rate would be almost exactly the same, if not exactly the same. Like maybe yeah. a $5 difference, but probably not. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. not even worth mentioning, you know? Um, so, yep. yeah, so that, so that was the thing with that. And, that, and that's where we landed, right? We landed with, because that was my logic. It's like, I'm not asking you to do anything other than make art with a different dimension size than what you're used to. Right. And to your, you know, and, and the other point is that it wasn't going, you know, most of the action was going to be the, in the middle with kind of like extended edges. In this case, too, I was actually providing a reference. Right. He, he got the layout. He got the layout. He saw exactly yeah. what you wanted. And he, he's, he yeah. quoted you a price. And then when you just said it's going to be wrapped around, then he wanted to charge you more. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's freaking ridiculous. Exactly. exactly. And so before we get off this, let me see if I can do this all right. Oh, yeah. Right, so I like that sticker. I got, that's a cool yeah, sticker. I, I got the three by three circular, which is like a cool kind of uh, Kadoja design with some red on it. And then I got the die cut sticker and it is that. Ah, I like that. Yeah, both yeah. of those are so very the, cool. I like both of those. Yeah, it was it was fun to design them, and so yeah, one of them is based off the. Uh, uh, they they both have some really cool things going on, so I'm excited to again hook up some Kickstarter backers with those, and then I'll have some extras if people want to buy them at like shows. Yeah, and I'm still up in the air on them coasters. Um, it's such a good deal. It's something I don't have. Uh, when I was sending you guys those sticker deals, I've I've done them so many times. Every time they popped up. I was so quick to jump on like one deal that they gave and it happens. I think once, maybe twice a year at best is $9 for 50 stickers. And, and it's just like, when that comes up, it's hard to turn down. And I have, Mm -hmm. I have definitely not turned that down a whole bunch of times. (laughs) So I have a nice little, uh, a drawer full of different stickers like second shift accidental aliens wanderers of Melisanda, just just so many different types of stickers so i've just been um you know sharing the wealth passing those along to uh, other creatives that i know um the coasters i do not have so those are still in the back of my mind i gotta i gotta pull the trigger soon or just uh let it be Sorry, I had a, I had an off-screen moment there. How fitting is it that my Joel Embiid figure, whenever he's touched, he loses the basketball? Oh yeah, that just feels very appropriate. Well, that, yeah, yeah, his uh, turnover rate. <laughs> yeah, it's, on your table, it's, it's quite high. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite high. But anyway, okay. So, what else did you have for the week, man? Um, let's cut this part for a second because my stupid little brain has to think. Because I definitely did have one more thing. That's okay. I may cut the JoJo reference, so we'll see. Nah, it was so quick. I would say leave that in. Turnover rate thing is funny too. Wouldn't that be cool if somebody was like, they heard like three seconds of basketball and they're like, fuck this. I thought these guys were going to talk comics. You know what? I told myself <laughs> if they brought up basketball one more time, I wasn't going to listen to this podcast. I was, and yeah, it was, a throw, them forever. it was a throwaway line. But you know what? I made a promise to myself. And you know what? I don't like exactly. lying to myself. Exactly. Because fuck them. That's <laughs> because why. Because fuck them. <laughs> fuck them and they're making comics. Um. So, okay. So a couple of things. Number one, um, I've started on flats for 
second shift 10. Uh, like I said, I had six pages left, but I just hit up, like after I got that piece back from my colorist, I said, hey, are you ready for some interior work? Do you got some time? He's like, I have time now. So if you got stuff, send it to me. So what I'm doing now is I, I have a flatter that I usually use uh, on the regular. And so I sent him some more of the complicated pages. Uh, however, my comic spending habit has been insane. So normally I'm, I'm pretty chill in that area. Uh, when I'm making my books, I'm not spending a ton on comics, but I have been spending a ton on comics. So as punishment, I am forcing, I'm making myself flat some of the pages, the ones that are way too easy. It's like, I can get that done pretty quickly. I'm going to have to yeah. take, uh, you know, how many hours per day and get these pages done because I sacrificed that flatter money picking up books. So, uh, so I've been doing that. I was doing that right before this show. We had a, a couple of minute delay because I was putting some, I was finishing up a page and putting some notes and uh, I was keeping yeah. track of how long it took me and it took me two hours to do one page. And so that's, that's not the greatest, but it's not the worst. So I'm going to do a couple more tonight and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to actually, I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to keep going tonight to yeah. see how many I could get done. I'm going to guess at least two more. I want to say maybe three and um, I'm going to pass those along to my colorist. But I have also enlisted my normal flatter on those complicated ones, like I said. So I'm trying to get these over to my, my colorist as fast as possible before he starts getting booked up again. That's that's a good start. That's a good start in terms of penance. Um, but I don't think you're doing enough. And I encourage you to flog yourself like Reverend Dimsdale in the Scarlet Letter. I think I think I think self-flogging is really is really that bridge that's going to get you to pure penance on this one. I, I I feel like that's true. Like how much I've spent on comics the last few months has been insane. Like I've been flog yourself. <laughs> you heard me. <laughs> flog your couch. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So so that's that was one of the things. Um, is doing the flats for those fuck fuck see i knew i should have i should have fucking wrote it down because i fucking i had to. you should have actually given a shit and prepared is that what i saying? know man like i'm just like <laughs> i keep making the same mistake over and over again i think you have a great memory you're gonna totally remember this it's not gonna be a problem and it's and it's and it's always a problem <laughs> you're the shit your memory is so you're dope shit, son, son. <laughs> don't you have a photographic memory <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's one of the polaroids that you shake and it just never comes out. That's my memory. <laughs> what, the, what the hell? It's been 15 minutes. Why is this not developing? Yeah. Okay. All right. So okay, I remember now. So the last thing on my list for this week is uh, those that freelance work that I had put off to finish that page. I actually did it yesterday. I knocked out uh, the two that I had pending from my my normal mm. freelance uh, um, uh, boss. And so I banged him out. I got the approvals this morning. Everything is good. I sent him sent him over his way. And so yeah, man, I got two more commissions to do. Basically, I have a T-shirt design and a book cover, a novel. So uh, this the fuck yeah, man. Yeah, man. It, uh, the novelist would like. I guess it's a noir book, so he wants one of those old school noir covers. And uh, so I told him, hey, man, create some, get some references, uh, shoot over your ideas of what you're thinking. And, um, you know, I got one more commission to do and then you're up. So he said he's going to yeah. put that stuff together. And uh, so so that'll be one thing. And then tomorrow 
I'm going to contact the t-shirt design guy because I've been putting him off for about two months now. And so I'm ready to roll on his. I have a feeling I can bang his out in a day or two at the very least. Like I'm pretty sure I'll get the design done in the first day and then the second day he'll have corrections. And then so I'll just adjust those and, and I'll be ready to roll. And so, so yeah, man, very busy uh -huh. week. A very awesome week. I'm very happy with myself. Um, I've been not as productive as I've, I've liked to be. I would like to be. So this week so far has definitely made up for it. Nice, dude. Nice, dude. So I guess we're going to draw this to a close. So if uh, for me, in terms of social media, you can follow me on Keith underscore decibel. That is Keith doing a whole bunch of things with a little bit of Kadoja in there. And then there's also Kadoja Kaiju, which is nothing but Kadoja all the time. And you could find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, -T -T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost uh, for all of your Scott Lost needs. Yes. And uh, and for websites, uh, KeithRFoster.com is really all you need to know because you can find Kadoja there. You can find blog posts there. And every time I write an oracle, or article for iHorror, there's a link to it on KeithRFoster.com. So I encourage you to go check that out. I'm doing my best to keep new stuff going. And uh, yeah, yeah. Check it out when you can. And KeithRFoster.com slash Oracle. That's when he uh, tells you the future. And that's just a different part of the site. Exactly. Keith. Yeah, exactly. It's actually just a random eight ball generator. That's all I did. I just stole from the magic eight ball. I, I, I don't tell you a fortune at all, but, but it makes you feel good about yourself. It's actually on the... <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> and, and you can find my comics at comics, not commies, comics. Uh, comics, not commies. Commies? Yeah, comics, yeah, not commies. commies. Uh, accidentalaliens.com. That has your Scott Lost comics needs. Accidental Alien comics. Uh, Accidental Alien anthology. I participated in every single one that we have available. Uh, 2017 is sold out, but we have digital versions of that. And uh, 1819 are there as long as well as tales from the mothership i have a short story in there and second shift a tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night and wanders of Melisanda, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans uh yeah there's a little more to it than that but there's a little synopsis there so if you go on accidentalaliens.com click on one of those titles it'll give you a brief synopsis of what's going on in those books yeah yeah and then uh you know the thing about both of us we both love questions so if you want you can hit us up on any of these instagram handles you can hit us up on facebook you can ask us stuff about making comics you know we're we we doing we love when people hit us up through any means that said there's also the making comics podcast at gmail email where you can hit us up that way if that's your preferred method so we're reachable in a lot of ways we love hearing from everybody you know the questions have you know, if you've been listening, which which I'm sure you have, they've driven um, entire episodes or, or great things. And um, so, yeah, yeah, hit us up with any questions you have. So with that said, I have almost certainly queued up the music by now. So uh, so I'll see you next week, brother. All right, my man. I will see you then. Yay, yay. Yeah, yeah.
I, I actually wanted to do. I wanted to do a little post credit first. Oh, okay. I did. I did. Uh, uh, so random thing, right? I, I don't know if we're gonna make anything more of this. But uh, do you have any comics in your head that you think are just perfect? You know, you can say maybe graphic novel length. Because, again, it would be hard to say a 20-issue run of a comic is perfect. Although I, I have a few that I could think of that are pretty goddamn close. Give me, give me three. Invincible yeah. is the perfect series to, okay. to me. If, if you were out on superheroes and uh, you were coming back and you wanted to know what a good superhero title is, Invincible is it. It it for me it is okay. just so hard to beat. The like growing up as an X kid, X Men had a great balance of drama, human drama, and superpowers. It's like you had those relationships that the characters were building, and then they would hop into battle against the big bad, and then you know they then the the drama continues the next episode next issue uh mm-hmm. whenever the whenever the battle's over then the character's drama rolls over that's something i loved yeah. about the x-men invincible has that almost to the point though that the character drama it's like a 50 50 split i would say x-men is like 30 drama 70 action and mm-hmm. invincible it's like 50 50 the book opens up a lot of times with him fighting someone dispatching a villain within two to three pa- pages and then it hops back into the drama of it all. So, uh, and mm. then you know the writing, the the story beats, the art. It's just it's beautiful. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna try. I just want to name a couple, and then we can move on with our lives, right? But I I want to try to almost try to avoid. You know how like uh, on Wheel of Fortune they give you the R S T L N and E. I feel like you know let's just go ahead and just put up there Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, Neil Gaiman, Sandman. I don't know if you got maybe Claremont X Men. You know what I mean? Like there are some runs where if you say that it's very Captain Obvious. So I'm trying to step outside of that, and and those those books are well known enough. But um, to be a little different, I think I have mentioned this at some point, quote on the air. But um, I have nothing but great things to say about the I believe it was a 24 issue arc, maybe 25. The the Thor run that involved the character of like Gore the God Butcher. Oh yeah, uh, God of Thunder. That that arc is so good, so good. I, I cannot say enough good things about it. And I'm not even the biggest superhero guy. You will notice that that's different from even the kind of superhero I like, which is street level. Um, and Thor is very much like Superman. Like Thor is too powerful, yeah. and and that's a problem that people have had. Although I, I feel like Thor gets around that a lot easier than Superman yeah. does for some reason. Maybe because Thor is more emotionally flawed. Well, that and he's Superman. more vulnerable. Like you can punch yeah. Thor as a villain and make him yeah. bleed. It's just that yeah. he's so resilient and he has a po- he has the powers of a god. He controls lightning yeah. and thunder and uh you know he has a fucking undestru- indestructible hammer so he he's yeah. more vulnerable but there's there's things about him that uh uh definitely weigh heavily in his favor but yeah that uh yeah. uh and the god the god bomb i think it was i think it was all part of the same same act yes but yeah. it was it was it was four arcs that tied into a larger arc and it all wrapped up in like an absolutely killer way so yeah great things to say about that yeah, and then also it's just such a different type of of hero book really it's not your your yeah. typical spandex like that run specifically it really leans into the god aspect of of the thor character and uh yeah. because gore is a god butcher 
he, kill, he kills gods. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's definitely a different part of super the superhero world. Um, I would yeah, say I'll make mm-hmm. one I'll make one comment on that too, which is they also pulled a death note on that in that recently, like a year ago, they had another series come out that was meant to be a sequel of it. To me, it falls just as flat as the second end after what I believe is the was the authorial end of Death Note, which we've talked about before. That new series, you can avoid. It doesn't really add much of anything to me. I mean, sure, it's an interesting read, but it kind of has that problem of then devaluing the work that came before it by simply existing. Right, yeah, you know? it's like Infinity War. And uh, it's because, like, you have the Infinity Gauntlet, um, as a kid, that was, I think the first trade paperback I ever read. It was the first complete story mm. I'd ever read was, uh, Infinity Gauntlet. And then after that was Infinity War. And there was even one more after that, I believe. And so like, yeah. l- much like you said, it really diminishes the previous works. It's like, why are you even yes. here? But then Marvel goes yep. money. That's why we're here, bitch. Yeah. So, uh, exactly. uh my second <laughs> one. And it's probably the only other one that I have because I honestly I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Um, is Saga, and you had mentioned that briefly oh. that you just got into God, that. Yes. And yeah. every single issue that I read, I love. I know you're reading through trades. I've heard people criticize yeah. that it's a better read in trade than it is single issues. But I think Brian K. Vaughn does a fantastic job at leaving little cliffhangers through every single. Uh, single issue so i have mm-hmm. no problems with the the single issue run yeah i mean that book is brilliant yeah say say I, I mean in a way what's funny is i didn't even think of that book so yeah i'm glad you kind of pulled that yeah and fiona staples art is it's ridiculous um she, something she talks yeah. about is how she has the characters the characters have line work it's not like super detailed but it's fine line work but then when you look at yeah. the background, there's almost no line work. It's all it's all shapes. It's colors. She doesn't. Uh, Interesting. Yes, it's it's just a very painterly book. But the backgrounds are completely yeah. painted. There's no no outlines of of uh, the background. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if if I can geek out on something that I'm particularly impressed with with Saga, it's that it's a very sexy book, mm-hmm. right? But it's but it but I also think you know while I'm not a woman, um, I feel like it's kind of sexy equally to parties, yeah. and I think they do a great job. I mean, there is there is like absolute. NC-17 sex in this book, which I always manage to flip open to when I'm on a fucking crowded airplane. (laughs) But that's another story. (laughs) Uh, I seem to have this knack for finding that page when I'm on a goddamn crowded airplane. And then I have to read the book at an angle so I don't feel like I'm a pervert. But that's another story. A lot of the times it's uh, the opening page. She loves to do that old school thing that Jack Kirby loved to do. Jack Kirby would open a lot of stories with one page splash, flip the page, two-page splash bitch you thought you were done no more in your face so fiona staples uh she likes to follow that trend as well i don't think she does the double double page but uh i believe every single issue of saga opens with the a single page splash uh speaking of uh nc17 one of them was uh uh giant ogre balls Oh, God. yeah, it yes. was like elephantitis of the balls. Uh, I think it yes. was the guy in my life drawing class that she used as an example. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, def- I definitely. Yeah. Sounds like a resemblance. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're a boy or a girl, there's something in there for you. Yeah. Yeah. And again, to your point, it, it's but it's not like I said, you know, so many books out there are just these 
these TNA books or, you know, just like women with anatomy that's not real. It's, it's, yeah, yeah we, definitely not my, yeah, thing. we've talked about that. That's just, that's not my shit. Like, um, you know, the way she does it, there's something, there's something enjoyable about it. It doesn't feel gross, right? Like, yeah, even though this totally. guy had the elephantitis of the balls, that was meant to look disturbing. Whereas, yeah, uh, the sexy scenes between, uh, the main characters, it's like, it feels like a couple in love and they're, they're going at it. You know what I mean? It feels different yeah. than these that are just strictly TNA. Hey, you perverts out there. We got something for you. This is just like, yeah. Hey, we know there's some couples reading these books. So like, maybe you'd be into this type of thing and, it, and it's super cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually I'm at a loss for thinking of a second thing. That's like not completely obvious. Cause again, the point isn't to do completely obvious. Um, we could, we could, waste podcast time on saying like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is amazing, but you probably know that. And if you don't, well then now you know, right? Like that, that's amazing stuff. So if you don't know, now you know. So, um, so anyway, so that, that was all I wanted to talk about on that. Oh, okay. I was going to say you, you had brought this up during the pod and, and I was going to mention it. There wasn't a great time to jump in. It was, it's a throwaway anyway. But when we were at that, uh, uh, Spiro's Heroes last week, yeah, man, I realized after we left, fuck, I spent the entire time just in the image section. Like, I didn't even get to yes. explore IDW. Like, I enjoy IDW properties, so I probably would have liked to pop into there some Dark Horse stuff. Yeah. Man, like, at some point down the line, we got to pop back in there. And uh, I, oh, we will. I want to yeah. definitely venture out of the image image titles. Yes, and, and I, I'm with you. And I, remember, I went through all those boxes. But, I, you know, I don't know what your taste is, obviously. So for me, I can go back and, and really hit image hard if that's what I want to do and hit the Marvel and DC books and things like that. There's plenty of other stuff to look through. And, yeah, I mean, I think with Spiro's Heroes, the way I think about that is um, I don't know if it's still this way, but it's the way I used to feel about outlet malls like outlet malls do not need to be visited every week. You can visit those. In fact, the optimal time is about once every four to six months because you got to give it time for all the stores to like change what they have, you know, and I think Spiro's Heroes, because they probably buy a lot of collections and you can get some fresh stuff in there. Um, I think it's a kind of place where, again, it's big enough to where you're probably going to want to do something else the next time. So, yeah, man, we can we can definitely make like a loose appointment to, you know, check back on that place in like four months, you know, get given enough time to breathe and get some new comics in there and explore a different part of the of the 50 cent room that we didn't even get to explore. Yeah, or that front room, the dollar room. I didn't even look at those boxes. Hell yeah. I know, right? Like, it's a dollar room. In any other store, we'd be like, holy shit, look at all these dollar books. But here, they're like, my God, those are expensive. Yeah. 